Let's pray for a moment together, can we? Father, I want to thank you for your love and your desire for each and every man. Lord, I pray that each one as we come in here today, that there would be throughout this day this great knowledge that maybe some of us have never come to grips with, and that is how great your love is for every one of us. And Lord, the Bible tells us that even Jesus himself, for thou lovest them as thou lovest me. And Lord, to stop and think, how could any of us think that the Father in heaven loves us as much as you love the Son? But if the Son of God himself didn't say it, it'd be hard to believe. But since Jesus said it, Lord, to realize you love us. And yet, Lord, we're far from Jesus by our nature and our humanness and our failing. And yet still, Lord, your love looks way beyond that. And you see a man that you determined to make him a son and then into a man of God. And Lord, we ask that throughout this day that you would be ministering to us, challenging us in many ways, strengthening us, Lord, that as a result at the end of this day we come out better men than we were when we began. Each and every one of us, Father, we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, thank you for allowing me to be here with you and share. And I, I love sharing with men just as a men's conference. One of the things through the years I've come to realize, I actually ran a conference center for a few years, and I came to the realization watching conferences at how different God works with men and women and children. It's entirely different. And realize that when God made them, when God made a man, when he made a woman, when he has a child, his relationship, his dealings with them are incredibly different. Now, that shouldn't be, uh, you know, all that amazing to realize because we're that way ourselves, uh, in a sense, on how we deal with people. But I look at, you know, women, for example. Now, how many of you married? No, great, most of you, it looks like. But, I mean, one of the things with women, I mean, I look at women's conferences. Women are very, very different. I watch women come to a women's conference, of which I've observed many of them. And they all come, they're wide open from the main moment they're there. They're, they're, they've got an expectation. They've got a desire. They're so excited to be there. And immediately, they want God to touch them and help them and be with them. You know, a lot of men come to conference. We're different. We're, we're all okay. Men are fine. I don't need anything. I don't know what I'm doing here. I just I check the place out, you know, or something. But that's the way men kind of are, you know, the, uh, uh, or, or something. But women, they come. How are you? Oh, I know. pray for me. This is the first word. They just started. You know, they'll have their first meeting or something. They're so open and needy and vulnerable. First meeting, one of the maiden ladies said, well, we want to pray for any of you ladies that have any problems. Can we pray for you? And hands go up all over. You know, and oh, honey, what's, what's wrong? We want to pray for you. I'm married. Oh, the poor thing. She's married. We understand. We understand. Gather around her and pray for her. And anything else? Oh, yes. What? I have children. Oh, no. She's married and she has children. <laughs> You know, and the and immediately they all cry. And they ask the, any of you that have wives that go out to conferences, that's, that's the effectiveness of a conference. If they cried, if they just broke down and wept, it was a wonderful conference. And the sooner they wept, the, the better it got. You know, somehow that's the way women are. You watch children, you know, you see youth camps, and there's kind of a little core that somehow or another, all the peer pressure and stuff, and some happens to a couple of them here or there, kind of the leaders, and they just kind of all respond as kids. Men so often, we come in, and we're cool, we're fine. How you doing? Great. Really? Yeah. Wonderful. My wife hates me. My kids won't talk to me. My dog bit me this morning, but I'm fine, you know, or whatever. I mean, it's like, we're, no matter what it is, we're tough. You know, we don't need anything. 
And I think that the interesting thing is I watch God as he deals, you know, with, with men. And he deals with women. With men, in the Bible, God is very physical. He's very confrontive. He's very warlike. It's a very bloody life. Very confrontive life. Very attacking. When you look at when God created a man, created a warrior. He created somebody who wanted to be a powerful force, a leader. He wanted a dynamic about him. You know, with, you know women aren't that way. That's so why I have three sons, no daughters, which everybody says that's fortunate for the poor girls that if you had them, that they'd have been. Because my boys, we just grew up wrestling. You know, just wrestling. We just loved to wrestle. You know, when I first I'd get one and wrestle, and then I'd get two, and then I'd get three, and I could, at one point I could just lay basically on all of them. You know, I win, you know, and seven. Then they got bigger and bigger, and then I'd wrestle two at a time. And then they got a little bigger, and then I'd wrestle one. And then they got to a certain size. I say, you know, your mother says I, I'm going to hurt you, so we have to stop. You know something? So, <laughs> but you just wrestle. You love doing that. But with girls, I literally like a girl would come over to the house, or I'd be with some family, and there'd be a you know their little girl, all dainty and cute. And I'd come up to her, "Hey, honey, how are you?" <laughs> Daddy, I broke my body. You know, or, I mean. No, I didn't do that. Look, I just, I just, just gave you a little laptop. You know, or something you don't. But girls are different, aren't they? God made us that way. And when, and I love it when you can get with men and we can just talk. Hopefully, open up our hearts because I think you know there's something. If there's a time where we we might be vulnerable, not necessarily that we really are, but if there's a time we might be vulnerable, it's when we're here just with men. I don't like hearing about me with my wife and kids sitting there. I don't like somebody talking to me or telling me what my problems might be or having me deal with them. There's something about my nature. I'm a little, you know, hey, leave me alone right now, would you? Don't, don't attack me. Don't make me look bad. But I think when I'm just with men, because we're all of like passions and we understand that there's a time that we might be open, it's a day like this. If there's a time that we might, maybe when we just look around and realize we all do understand. We've got the same fundamental things that oftentimes we're dealing with. But as a day, if today's a day, I hope throughout this day that God wrestles with you. I hope He challenges you. I hope He confronts you head on with real issues within your heart and your life. And you'll be open to say, God, okay, I may be a wrestler. I may be fighting you. I may be coming at you. But God, I want you to work. I want you to teach me. And something to me that I think when I watch God and, and watch Him really in the Bible, God, again, He's very physical with men. He throws men into wars. He throws men into battle. He didn't throw women <laughs> you know, to say, here, you know, some men, you guys have been fighting a lot. Hey, just let the women go. You, you just have to tell the women to go take care of the Philistines and kill them, you know, or whatever. No, he didn't do that. You don't see women fighting. But God looks at the men and he says, you'll fight. And you'll wrestle. And you'll struggle. And you will take on the enemy. And the enemy will take on you. And through that enemy and through that battle is how I'll carve you out. And I'll fashion you and I'll confront you. And I love watching God in the Bible when you begin to see him that way. On how confrontive he is. I look at him with Abraham and how confronted with Moses and think how confront him. I love the story of Jacob. I actually, I just love men's studies. I love doing character studies of men. But one of my favorites is, is Jacob. He's such a, an amazing guy to kind of watch because God is just so, God wrestles with him. God loves to take them on. And I look at Jacob here, he grows up, and if you know much about Jacob, you know, you realize he is the, you know, the second of a twin, only hardly twin, just 
you know, cellmates for nine months, essentially, wrestled with each other while they were in the tomb, in the tomb, womb, tomb, whatever it was. But anyway, and here his older brother is born first. And there Jacob, he's a, he's a heel catcher. He comes out, evidently, holding on to his brother's heel when he's born. But the brother's the bigger one, far bigger. He got the best of the womb, you know, when he was in there. He got he's bigger and he's stronger. He's, and and he's, he's also so masculine, he's so physical. Then his father calls him Esau, which means hairy. Hairy, he just means H-A-I-R-Y, not H-A-R-R-Y. He was a hairy dude, born that way. Didn't have to wait for puberty. This guy already had it in the womb. He comes out, probably with no sooner born than he's going. You know, who knows, but you just see this guy, so physical. And you watch him, he's an outdoorsman. He's masculine, he's a hunter. The guy's a man's man, from childhood seemingly. Jacob, you know, he's kind of, he's, he's smaller, the weaker one, and, uh, and, he, he, and he's a manipulator. He's a cheat, actually, when you look at him in his, in his life. But, but one of the things about Jacob that's interesting is that Jacob was somebody there that he, he seemed to always be wrestling, in a sense, with life all around him. And, and I think God loves to wrestle with men. I think he enjoys it. I actually think it's part of the way that he produces character. He produces some depth. He produces some spunk, you know, through his processes within him. As if he looks at a man and says, not that he likes rebellion, but hey, you give it your best shot. You just go right on ahead, and you just do whatever it is you think you do, however you think you ought to do it. And I'm going to start, you know, working with you and doing what I am. But, but here Jacob, a chief, he, he, he was a man that wanted. He wanted all the right things, but because he had no idea how to get them, he just cheated for them. He manipulated for them. And here he was somebody, his mother saw this heart in him. You know, she also had the manipulative side, but she wanted him to get the birthright, the best of things, that would go to the older son. And here Jacob, his father, as he's getting older and older, probably, Isaac is getting older and older, and it's now time to pass on the birthright. His mom wanted him to get it. He wanted it. It wasn't his, you know, by birthright. He didn't, shouldn't have had it. It was to go to his older brother, but his dad calls in his older brother. Hey, Esau. Yes, Dad. He said, you know, it's time for me to pass on the birthright. Lay hands on you and give it to you. Turn it over. I'm getting old. I can't see any longer. But that Venice said, you know, I want you to go out. And get, man, you make the greatest meal. You're such a hunter. You're, you come back. Boy, have you been hunting and cook up something? Would you do that for me? And then when you do that, I'm going to lay hands on you and give it to you. Well, here Jacob's mother hears this. Esau goes out hunting. While he's out hunting, she runs to Jacob. She says, Jacob, quick. Quick, go get an animal, get it ready. We're going to make a meal out of it. And, the, you know, and, and you're going to go in and get the birthright. He says, Mom, hello. <laughs> Harry, it's Harry. I'm not Harry. You know, I don't even, I'm not even fuzzy. I can't pull it off. He will know it isn't me. She says, don't worry, let's get some, we'll, we'll get some animal skin. We'll put it on your hands. We'll put it on your neck. And so if he comes up and he touches you, smells you, you know, you'll, and I, what, what kind of a, how hairy, what's hairy? I mean, when you're taking you know, <coughs> an animal skin and putting on, oh, that's my boy. No. <laughs> but here, you know, but he comes back, so he, he quickly, they make up the meal, get him up there like he's hairy, like he's the macho. He's the dude. He's the boy. That's my son. And he goes in. Dad, I'm back. Well, who is that? She saw. Well, funny. It's, I, are you sure? It sounds like Jacob. Come near. 
He touches him. He says, oh, that is, feels like Esau. Smell, smells like Esau. I mean, Esau must have been one wretched smelling guy. But anyway, he looks, <laughs> love that animal smell, you know, or whatever. But here he says, okay. And then because he's blind, he can't really see what's going on. But he lays hands on him, passes on the birthright, which is something that can't be reversed. Is when it's done, it's done. Listen, listen, then Jacob, he's on his way out. Esau, meantime, he comes back. He's now got it. He walks in and he says, Dad, yes. And uh, he says, I got your meal for you. Well, wait a minute, you're just here. No, it wasn't. Wait a minute, you sure that wasn't you? I'm sure it wasn't me. Oh, no. Jacob, he's already been here. He's got it. I can't do anything about it. He conned me. And here, the next thing you know, Esau. Even though he never seemed to much care for any of this, and he actually even earlier on, he had traded the birthright. Jacob went to his brother one time, and he comes back tired from hunting, and he's making a little bowl of red stuff, it's called literally in the Hebrew, pottage. And he says, give me some of that. And he says, I'll tell you what, I will give it to you. Will you trade it for your birthright? And he says, sure. You, want, you need a crutch. You want the birthright. You, I don't care about God and God's blessings and what it is God may even pass on. You believe in that stuff, you can have it. I don't care. And so he cheated him out of it even there, but yet Jacob, Esau never really meant it. Now he really did kind of want it. And so he comes to get it. And his father says, too late. And all of a sudden Esau, he's so mad he's going to kill him. Now he is going to go and kill Jacob. And when, he, when mom hears about that, <coughs> she's got to figure out a way to get rid of him, get him out of there. And so she goes to her husband and says, you know something, honey? I've been thinking, Jacob, we can't have him hang around here and marry one of these women here. We need to send him back over to Uncle Laban and have him there where we meet this wonderful girl that would have a good wife, you know, and all she's doing is trying to find a way to get him out of there and save his life, get him away from Esau. So he says, okay. So Jacob, meantime, he heads off. And as he heads off on a trip, you know, and he, and, and he goes off to, to stay with his uncle Laban. And then he makes this journey, and he gets there to Laban. And he finds himself there trying to, you know, go to work for him. But the interesting thing about this is, is here Jacob, a great cheat. One of the best cheats you'll ever come along. He was a manipulator. He could, he, he was always, the wheels always turning. What I got to do, spying him out, measuring people up type of a guy. How am I going to get what I want? How am I going to get this done? That sort of a guy, the cheater of cheats. And then next thing you know, he goes to his uncle Laban, who God just set the whole thing up because Laban was a better cheater than Jacob. And so Jacob shows up there. Hey, Uncle Laban, how you doing? Great, nephew, how are you? Great. Well, it's great to have you with us. Yeah, it is. And he looks around and he says, whoa, who is that? Oh, the, who, the girl? Yes, that's, that's, that's Rachel. It's my daughter. You know, and, and he says, wow. She's beautiful. Can I have her? And he says, sure. Just work for me for seven years, and you can have her for your wife. Really? Yes. He works for it for seven years. And works, works, works. And here, though, I mean, all the time there's all sorts of tensions going on. Jacob had some flocks, and his men, his servants didn't get along with, with his uncles, and the uncles didn't get along. And they had all these little petty things coming, seemingly going on. But at the same time, though, I'm going to get my woman. And so finally, here the seven years come down, and traditionally they would have oftentimes a ceremony was, wasn't just a little 20-minute deal. It was a, there was a feast, the relatives gathered, family all around, and it would be for a few days oftentimes. Ended up finally there with the vows and the consummation of the marriage. But here evidently it appears that, that Laban got Jacob drunk enough that by the time the ceremony goes on, he takes his other daughter, Leah, 
and slips her in, in and here has him marry her. He marries her, wakes up the next morning after he's consummated the relationship, looks at her, and Leah, what are you doing here? And she's, well, I'm your wife. No, no, no. Yes. No, no, no. <laughs> yes. <coughs> yeah, we did the deed. No, we didn't. <coughs> yes, I am your wife. <coughs> he goes running to, to, to Laban. Laban, what's going on here? I asked for Rachel. I got Leah. This is something happened here. There's this shell game here. I don't know what's going on here. Oh, no shell game, no trickery. Oh, maybe, oh, maybe I forgot to give you the kind of the fine print. In our family, the tradition is we always marry off the ugly older one before we do the pretty young one. <laughs> what? You didn't tell me that. <laughs> oh, well, what's done's done. And here, so, well, no, but I, I want her. Well, you can still have her work for seven more years. So he works for seven more years. And here as he's working and working and working, <coughs> next thing you know, these two are watching each other, and they're both cheating each other all along. Jacob is finding a way to get stronger, healthy sheep, crossbreeding, <coughs> excuse me, working it all out for his best. And their, their servants all know something's going on between them. Jacob's flocks are doing great. Laban's aren't doing so well. Tension is rising. Finally, after all of these years, of just getting sick and tired and cheating and manipulating, exhausting each other, Laban comes to him and he says, listen, just get out of here. Just get out of here. I can't take this any longer. You just go. And here is he's just, you know, you, 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 know, you ruined my life. You, got, you messed my family up, servants, business. Everything's gone sideways since you've been around. And he says, you got to get out of here. And he tells him, he says, the Lord be between thee and me, which a lot of people think is a nice thing. It's actually, he's just literally saying, listen, and if I'm ever in a room with you again, God's going to be right between us. Is Jacob, I mean, here Laban thought he was a great cheater. And, and, he, and, he, and they, these two are cheating and cheating and cheating each other. They're both of them, the type of guys you shake hands. You better count your fingers when you're through. You know, you don't know what to pickpocket, what they got. Literally, as you watch these men. And finally, they're so exhausted with one another, he says, go, just get out of here. And then now as he's about to leave, he now hears that his brother, who is, is just over the hill with 400 men, and he's coming after him. And just when he thinks, oh, no, what could be worse now, it's worse. And so ever the manipulator, now he tells his men, he says, okay, take a bunch of flocks, take a bunch of herds. Go on over to him and say, hey, bro, how I hear you're coming and you're in the neighborhood. I've been missing you. Here's some gifts for you. And we hear all sorts of animals. And just as kind of an offering, because, you know, it's peace offering. Thinking that maybe it'll calm him down. Maybe, you, maybe there's a way to do something. And he panics as he, he sends some more to him. Then he's, then he's still realizing it's his whole world's crashing in on him. He looks at his wives. He tells the wives and the kids, okay, you stay over here. We're going to divide up in different companies, and we're going to go off into different groups. And he says, so, you know, whatever it is, however he's going to attack us, however he's going to kill us, he's still trying to figure out how I'm going to outlive this battle there. And when he comes there, and he's got this whole thing so we can, one of us, when he comes one way, at least another group can maybe get away. And there he is, is now, Jacob, all of his life, going through all of this stuff, and then the night before, now he's going to meet his brother. All of a sudden, the Bible tells us there appears before him a man who we realize a theophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ, the Lord himself. 
And here is he comes and he and it says that he wrestles with Jacob all night. What an amazing picture to me. I don't know why it's just so amazing to me. Really to think of God wrestling with a man. To think the Lord just finally they're just coming to him and just taking him. And then he just coming at you. I can just see him. Okay, buddy. Okay. I've had it with you. Come on. Give it your best shot. I mean, here's God looking at, at, at a man. I mean, you would just think, you want to fight? It's very easy. Here. Oh, you lose. Sorry. You know what I mean? Very easy thing. You just take him. Flick him to China. Bye. You know, but here he wrestles with him. He could have destroyed him any moment, but instead he just, through the hours, wrestles and wears him down. <coughs> wears the man down until finally reaches inside of his knee, pinches the muscle, walks with a limp the rest of his life. But here he says, okay, I'm through. And then Jacob finally, after all these years, he quits. Utter exhaustion. I quit. I give up. And then he says, I won't let you go unless you bless me. Now he just holds on to him kind of with his death grip. I please, please, please. He's now come to the realization. You know, that I, I think something there, you know, I think many men, one of the things, I watch God on how He is with us. So we go through our life. And I don't know how many men, I wonder how many of you here today, you thought when you were growing up, I mean, you spent years wrestling with your dad. And you wrestled with your brothers. And you wrestled with your boss. And you didn't get along. There was tension wherever you went. You, confrontation with my dad. Confront, my brother and I didn't get along. People I worked with, neighbors didn't get along. School I didn't get along. And the whole world is against me. And you went from job to job. Maybe you moved from city to city. You were here and you are there. But somehow or another, you're, everywhere you just kind of settled down to start all over again. Hoping you get a new life. But you're back wrestling in days, it seems. Fighting. Struggling with all of these things that are weighing you down. And it took Jacob it's years and years until one day he came to the realization it was never his father. It was never his brother. It was never his mother. It was never his uncle. It was never his wives. It was never his servants. It was never Laban and Laban's servants. It wasn't a sheep. It wasn't a business. He'd spent his life wrestling with God. It always been God. He just thought it was his dad. Thought it was his brother's. Thought it was his uncle. Thought it was the job. Thought it was the marriage. I'll tell you, one of the most wonderful things that ever happens to a man is when someday a man begins to wake up and he begins to realize, it's God I've been fighting with. It's God I've been wrestling with. And the amazing thing is God could destroy us in a moment, but the program of God, He isn't there to destroy us. He's there to make a man. The same way I suppose any coach there will go and wrestle and wrestle and fight and come and bring in another opponent while in the process of it, though the person, while he's wrestling, while he's going through all this, and he's got all this tension and all that anger, one confrontation after another, but God is building something that the man doesn't even know until finally God turns it all around. Until the, finally the day that God can get his hand truly on the man, and then many of these processes that he, <coughs> that he learned and struggled through, God has a way of turning them around. And making a man into a real man. I think one of the wonderful things about God is that God wants every man. God wants it. He, he's already got women. He's not looking to make women. I want to get something soft and tender. I've got something pliable. I've got something that's whimpery, loving, emotional, embracing. I want to make a warrior. I want a man. I want a man I can put the challenges of life, the struggles, the burdens. I want a man I can send to wars. 
eternal wars, great wars. A man there that, that when I'm through with him as his trainer, as his coach, as his father, as his wrestling coach, that when he's done, you can always look at God, and, and God isn't somebody that destroyed him. God was somebody that made him. And in a sense, and pardon me, I don't know how to put it better, but it's almost like he's able to look at God, and there's such a respect because I've been beaten by a man far better than me. I've wrestled with the greatest and prevailed. That's what happened. God knew. God knows. He, he doesn't want a man that just lies down, a man that just quits. Man that just, you know, he wants a man there that because those things don't produce character. They don't produce courage. They don't produce depth. They don't produce con conviction. They don't produce sometimes con integrity that's deep within somebody. And I think so often, you know, a lot of men, they don't realize, they don't look at God and realize, oh, when I'm through with you, you'll be a man. And when you look at the Bible and you see what God makes, when God makes men, He makes men. And they're awesome men. You look at Abraham there, the father of our faith, but you realize when his nephew Lot gets in trouble, he goes and grabs his men. And when the kings of the earth have literally taken him, Abraham takes his men, goes after, and conquers the kings of the earth. And they're essentially Abraham. First time kings are mentioned in the plural in the Bible, Abraham takes them on, whips them, and essentially becomes the king of kings. All the spoils of war are offered to him. He says, I don't need your spoils. Keep them. I just want my nephew. Go home, son. I mean, you look there and you realize, God, He makes a man. You look at Moses. <laughs> you look at Moses and you realize, God wrestled with him for 40 years, but when he was done, he had a man. An unbelievable man. A man particularly, you did not want to meet him if he was in the back alley with a rod in his hand, particularly. <laughs> he had a way of just splitting anything in <laughs> two. Opening the ground. Destroying it. Water out of rocks. Man out of heaven. A man there that could go before Pharaoh's. A man there that could go before any man, anywhere, anytime, anyhow. God made a man. God loves to take a man. You know, and when you look at the Bible and he's got something, they're awesome. I look at an Elijah there. When God with Elijah, there's, he's a powerful man. He's a physical man. A couple times in the Bible, when you look at him, he literally ran two marathons in a day. When you look at the distance, he says he ran across the desert floor. He was a man. And yet at the same time as he stood before 450 prophets of Baal alone, he could look at them and he says, where's your God? Mocked them. Ridiculed them. Because he realized who he was alone with God. God's hands upon him. He's fearless. He's powerful. God, when he gets somebody and when he makes them, he makes a man out of them. An awesome man. I look at David. You just look at what an awesome warrior, what a man he was. In every sense of the word. One time, even as a young man, and here is Saul, King Saul, got a daughter, Michael. And here is he looks at him. And with Saul, yeah, Saul then decides so many people, they love Michael. He's a very beautiful woman or whatever. And so here he looks, he says, I'll tell you what, any man that can go out and bring me a hundred Philistine foreskins, you go kill a hundred Philistines, bring me a hundred Philistine foreskins, you can have my daughter's wife. David said, Okay. I'll do it. Now, you may think that's an odd way to do things. Come back and say, give me 100 Philistine foreskins, but I can say this in a men's conference. Hopefully, they'll just lay, stay here. But, I mean, you, whereas, you, back then, they didn't have ABC and Fox News and CNN. Somebody went out and had a battle. You didn't know how it really was. But they, you know, did you really kill people? How many did you kill? And were they men? Well, this is kind of, this is the way. They brought back 
you know, foreskins. Yep, that's a man. You know what I mean? They're just, and then, because each man basically has one of those, it's easy to count how many you killed. It's kind of, it sounds rather crude, and it was, no question, but it was, that's, the, that's how they did it. And so he says, I want 100 Philistines, foreskins, whoever can do it, gets my daughter. David went out and he got 200. That's a, a big deal. In fact, I'll double it. And David, I mean, that's quite a test. You know, there's a lot of men that maybe aren't fighters. Oh, I'm not a fighter. I'm, I'm just a gentle guy. But there is a point where I believe every man will fight. When somebody comes, oh, that's okay. But I kind of do need something you've got because it's how we keep score. And he says, no, you can't have that. And all of a sudden, any man will usually become a fighter for the desperately. <laughs> but here David went out and he gets 200 of them. I mean, here we're looking there on basically anybody's terms. There is a man. Phenomenal man. And you watch God. And I think a lot of men wrestle with God a long time because they don't know that about God. They don't know that God is using all these things. Yeah, I let your dad take you down. Yeah, I let this happen with you. Yes, I let this happen. Yes, I let all these problems. Yes, I, all that. And you thought it was your brother. You thought it was your dad. You thought it was your uncle. You thought it was, it was never them. They just come and go. It's me you've been wrestling with all these years. My power, my sovereignty, my lordship in your life. And here when we would realize this, God looks at us like Saul of Tarsus, a man there breathing fire, a man hateful, destroying the church. And yet God, it's almost like he looks at him, and here he is, he's doing terrible things, he's killing people, putting them in prison, making orphans out of people. And yet at the same time, God is like, that was wrong. God obviously, he didn't approve of it for one moment, but he also, there's a man with spirit. Doesn't know who he is. Doesn't know what he's doing. Absolutely wrong. Doing terrible things. But I'll make a man out of him. And there God met, you know, Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus, knocked him off his high horse, and the next thing you know, he blinds him, and there he is, but he turns to him and he says, who art thou, Lord? In other words, you won. And I know who you are. But he turns to him and he says, Saul, why persecutest thou me? He says, who are you? I don't know who you are. I've been fighting with you. It's all these other people. But he says, no. It's always been me. Why are you fighting me? Why do you kick against the goads? Why do you do all of this? But there, when he heard the Lord's voice, he realized, God, it has been you. Jesus, it's you I've been fighting with. And he yielded. What would that have me to do? But because as men we don't seem to know this, we wrestle with God. Because we don't understand this, we wrestle with him. Another area, I think my time's up, so let me just very quickly in the next few minutes tell you what I would have told you if I had the time. But here, <laughs> I will be brief. Another area I think men, a lot of men struggle, wrestle, Wrestle intently again with God. Don't even realize it. But men wrestle over not just surrender of their life to God in the first place, but, <coughs> but sacrifice, real full sacrifice, surrender of letting God fill them. Becoming a lover. A lover of God, a lover of their wives, lover of their children. And so often, you know, it's, it's, you know the, the, when it really comes, you know, you know, men, there's something about us, we can be men together and men of God, men of the Bible. But when it goes home, to the wife, God says, I love her. I want you to tell her you love her. 
I wonder if any of today, if you men, if you had an assignment, at the end of the day, you've got it on your way home, stop off and get some flowers. And I want you to get in and get some candy. And I want you to then go home to your wife, and I want you to take her into a room where nobody else is and sit her down and get down on one knee. Could you imagine already? So, oh, not me, baby. You know, I mean, there's <laughs> dream on, you know, sort of a thing. And then I want you to take your wife, hold her hand in yours, and look at her and say, darling, I love you. I can't believe the Lord gave you to me. I mean, at that point, there's a lot of men, boy, they've wrestled with God and prevailed. Hey, God, you're God. Amen. You know, I'll wear the everlasting T-shirt. Bring it on. You know, or whatever. But then now God says, great. Now go tell your wife you love her. Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. No, can't do that. You don't understand. I'll be whipped. Can't do it. And we're wrestling all over again. You're getting turmoil. Some of you right now, you're reaching in your pocket and taking tums right now. Settle me down. This is not going to happen. But the, the thought of even just having to turn and hold her, embrace her, and say, darling, I love you with all my heart. The Lord's doing awesome work in me. I can't believe that you'd hang in there with me. What I put you through, I love you. Here's some flowers. And a lot of you guys think she'd look at you and say, you've been drinking. <laughs> Where have you been? You haven't been to any conference, buddy. You know, what are you making up? What did you do? Come on, get it out. But to really, truly, I mean, I, the average guy, I think if I gave you, you had two options at the end of the day. Two options. Either you go get those flowers, get the candy, go home, go on one knee, I love you. Or you had to go out and get an airplane. Fly up to 30,000 feet. And you had to jump out without a parachute. You do one or the other. Your choice. You pick. The average guy, I think, would sit there and actually weigh it out. <laughs> That's Okay. Go down to the airport, 30,000 feet, jump out, no parachute, go home, down one knee, fly. Either way, I die. <laughs> I want to die like a man. Where's the plane? You know, or something. But we wrestle. We wrestle with God. But God knows this. So he wrestles with us. Wanting through the years, make us into somebody that we would just look at that woman. God, fill me with love. Look at those children. Be able to embrace them, say, I love you. Can't believe you're my son. Can't believe you're my daughter. Oh, we'll always have issues. But I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. We wrestle. And last, another area, and we'll close it here, we wrestle in is, is just worship. Men wrestle when it comes just to fully surrendering their life and just letting the Spirit of God just fill them. To just sing to the Lord, to worship the Lord. And again, you know, they, men wrestle, they struggle. You know, I know a thing like this, you know, we're tough, we're mean, you know, type of thing. We got the everlasting church, you know, whatever. We're buff, we're whatever. And there's something about us, you know, the average guy you want to, you, but you take a guy in and say, here, let's worship the Lord. Let's worship Him. David said, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee, my soul thirsteth, my heart panteth after thee in a dry and thirsty land. So I look toward thee in thy sanctuary to see thy power and thy glory, and because thy loving kindness is better than life, that's while I live, I'll praise thee. I lift up my hands to thy name. David just looked at God and he says, God, you're everything to me. And you're better than life to me. 
and I love you, and I worship you. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsts. My heart panteth after thee in a dry and thirsty land. I look toward thee in thy sanctuary. You are better than life. Thus will I praise thee. I lift my hands. I surrender. That's all it is. Lifting the hands is just for surrender. But so often you get men. Maybe they wrestle with God, and, and they become a man, and they surrender there, and, and then they wrestle with, with, with loving. They kind of do that, but then some men bring them to church and say, hey, let's worship the Lord. And you get there and you watch some guy down the, the, the aisle. He's there and he's back. He's just, God, just lost, I love you. And you're looking at him. Dummy, man. I mean, yeah, say, just lift your hands to the Lord. And all of a sudden, the guy, you take him into the gym. You give him 300 pounds. Hoo, hoo, hoo. You take him into church. Lift your hands. Instead of Lord, take my life. I surrender to you. I surrender your spirit. And you are better than life. And I love you with all of my heart. I lift my hands to the name.